awesome. Have you had a good afternoon? Who has received something from God already? Oh, good, two of you. Excellent. My job is done. I'll go home. <laughs> Hopefully you have. If not, I believe I have a word for you this evening. And uh, I have to warn you, there's a little bit of scripture in it, but it's, it's well, it's good for us, but it's actually the story of three different women in the Bible whose stories I believe are going to help you tonight. So the title of my message this evening, we're going to change track a little from this afternoon, is Nothing is Impossible. So when you turn to your neighbor and say, nothing is impossible. Awesome. Okay, turn to your other neighbor who you ignored and rudely gave the shoulder to and say, nothing is impossible. Awesome. All right, what did we decide was the winner of the um, restaurants tonight? Who thinks they had the best dinner, best restaurant? Okay. Who got the hand up first? I think, did one of you get your hand up first? Which restaurant? The marina. Who went to the marina? Who concurs? All right, the marina has it. Excellent. All right. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to start with to Genesis chapter 18. Um, So tonight I want to share with you, what do we do when the promises of God or the, what do we do with the promises that God has given us? What do we do with those promises? You might have read something in your Bible that, you, that just jumped out at you and you're like, that was a word for me. God spoke to me with that particular verse. What, do, what am I going to do with that promise that God has given me? Maybe someone has prayed for you and prophesied over you before and, and, and you've hold, held on to that promise, but maybe it hasn't come to pass yet. What do you do with that promise that God has given you? Maybe you've prayed something and you feel like God said, yep, that's going to be done. You know, what do you do with those promises? When God has given you something, what do you do with those things that he's spoken to you in his presence as you pray, as words that he has, has, has spoken over you? What do you do with those promises? Because often, and this might be different in your life, but it's certainly the case in mine, when God promises, there's often a period of time before it seems like those promises come to pass. It doesn't always seem like it happens quickly. Sometimes it happens Sometimes it does, but sometimes it happens very slowly and we get quite frustrated. So what do you do? Let's have a look at some women in the Bible tonight who, who had promises given to them and what, what they did with those promises. So um, one story really quickly is that we have a young lady in our church, so she might be in her mid-twenties now, um, got married a few years ago, but she just went through challenge after challenge after challenge. She has, um, she has a physical uh, illness that she has to navigate, which is not life-threatening, but she has to manage it. Um, but had some lots of other things that were happening to her that she was struggling with and dealing with. And I remember, I reckon it might have been the first Sunday service of 2019, so beginning of last year. And I prayed for her at the altar. And um, I really felt, I just declared over her, like, this is, this is your year. You know, all the things you've been believing God for, all the things you're waiting for God to do, this is the year that you're going to turn back at the end of the year and go and be amazed at what God has accomplished in your life. And there was lots of things she was facing, lots of things that she had sort of, plagued her for many years and and just in the last I'm going to say last five weeks uh, she's given birth to her first baby boy and I, I can just see that in that so she would have been pregnant at the end of last year um, which was was a surprise which wasn't was was like this like absolute blessing that they didn't think they could actually um, easily have children and um, and so she gave birth to a little boy maybe five weeks ago or so and I have seen the transformation in her life in that in those nine months um, she had the she, she had the, uh, the funniest birth announcement I've ever heard in my life she basically messaged me and said this is her sense of humor so don't be offended I have a parasite in my body 
that I'm going to meet in like nine months. And, um, and so that was her birth announcement. Anyway, so come this far. But I look back at now at what God's done in her life in those last 18 months. And honestly, she can look back and say, God, God totally has brought her through to her. She's an entirely new person in that period of time. And I do believe that, you know, we ha- those, those kinds of things God can do for us. And I think we've got to be bold enough to prophesy it, bold enough to pray it, bold enough to declare it, and just trust that God is going to deliver on his promises. But I want to have a look and ask you the question tonight, how do you respond to the promises of God? There are three women we're going to have a look at tonight in the Bible who were promised something. In fact, they were promised someone from God. And when you follow their stories, it actually seems like God, he fails to keep his promise, it seems, to each of them. Let's have a look, first of all, at Sarah. Are you like Sarah? So we'll read really quickly, as, as quick as I can. This is, some, um, this is a conversation happening with Abraham. They say, where is Sarah, your wife? She's inside the tent. This is reading from verse 9 in Genesis 18. Then one of them said, well, when I return about this time next year, your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent, and Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid, so she denied saying it, is denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. The Lord said, but you did laugh. <laughs> and that's Genesis 18. Now, this wasn't the first time that we see God make this promise to Abraham and Sarah. In fact, three times prior to this, he says to their family, or to the two of them, um, he's promised them a son, that he's promised fatherhood and motherhood for both of them. So if we read back to Genesis 15, we can see um, some passages there. And basically, to summarize, God says, look up into the sky, and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants that you're going to have. And then a little bit later, in Genesis 17, he says to him again, "This is my covenant with you. This is to Abraham. I will make you the father of, uh, of sorry, the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be called Abram. He said you'll be called Abraham, for you'll be the father of many nations. We see that same um, story continue when God promises it to Sarah as well." And he's in this in, um, a bit further on in Genesis 17. Regarding Sarah, Sarah or Sarai, your wife, her, no longer, her name will no longer be that. From now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and, you, and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. And then it says in verse 19 of Genesis 17, Sarah, your wife, will, birth, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac. So she's heard all of these promises. We, we, we're reading in Genesis 18, but before that, three times God has said, you will be the father of many nations. You'll be the mother of many nations. I will give you a son. I'm going to change your name because you're going to be the father of many. And so you've heard all of these promises, but still when that promise comes, when we read it in Genesis 18, she hears it and, she, and they say it's going to be in a year's time. We'll come back. You will have a son. His name will be Isaac. She still laughs. She's heard this promise and heard this promise and heard this promise. But when it's finally said, she still in a kind of cynical way laughs at the reality that there's just no way that that could happen. Maybe you are a bit like Sarah, and, you've, and you keep reading the promises in the Word of God, you keep hearing things, maybe you keep having prophecies over the same thing, but you are quick to doubt that God can do it. You just kind of maybe reason away, oh, but I'm, I'm old, or this is my family, or this is my story, or this is my situation. And maybe you just think it seems impossible. Maybe it just seems a bit ridiculous at this season of your life to ever see that promise come to fulfillment. Anyone with me tonight? Where you just kind of, you've almost given up on that promise. 
um, you immediately think about all the reasons why it could never happen and it hasn't happened yet. So you go, well, it hasn't happened and, and surely it should have happened by now. If God was going to do it, surely he would have done it by now. But I want to say to you tonight that nothing is impossible. It says earlier in that, in, we read earlier in, um, in Genesis 17, I think it is, in Genesis 18, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? It is not. What seems impossible to us is possible with God, the Bible says. What is impossible for man is possible with God. And if we read on in Genesis 21, we see that the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. I love that. She became pregnant. She gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. They named him Isaac. Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. I love that, that she laughs in cynicism. She laughs in doubt. And yet when she names Isaac, she says, but he's brought me laughter. Genuine joy, true joy. Anyone who hears about this will laugh with me, she says, because I've given Abraham a son in his old age. Her doubt and dare I say her cynicism was turned to joy with the fulfillment of this promise. There's another woman in the Bible, which we read about in 2 Kings, and her name, well, she's not named, actually, like most good women of the Bible. Um, she, was, she was known as the Shunammite woman, and we read from uh, 2 Kings in chapter 4. This is another woman who, again, she is actually promised something, but we'll look at her circumstances. They're a little bit different. And we see here in 2 Kings, there's an, as, uh, a woman who is, I'll read from verse 8. There's one day Elisha went to the town of Shunem, and a wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. So she says to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. And then he'll have somewhere to stay when, we, when he comes by. So one day Elisha returns to their house and he went, goes to this upper room to rest. And he says to his servant, tell this woman, I want to speak with her. So she comes into the room and she, he says to uh, her, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern that you've shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? And she replies, my family takes good care of me. So later... Elisha asked Gehazi, his servant, what can we do for her? And he replies, well, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back, Elisha says. So the woman returns and Elisha says to her, she stands in the doorway, next time, next year at this time, you'll be holding a son in your arms. And she says, no, my Lord, she cries, oh man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Isn't that a crazy response? She says, don't you, basically, don't you dare get my hopes up. Don't you dare promise me that I'm going to get disappointed when God doesn't deliver. Don't you get, dare get my hopes up. What I think is amazing about this woman is that she and her husband, they make room for this man of God. In other words, they make room for the presence of God in their life. They, they've created a space in their home where this man of God is welcome. So, she, so in, in, in our context, she's making room for the spirit of God to dwell in her home. But when this man of God says to her, what can I do for you? Her response is basically, I'm all good. I'm fine. Like, we're fine. We're managing. Life's okay. Like, we're fine. We don't really need anything. Which I'm sure we respond in these ways sometimes. She was so accustomed to her lack. She was so accustomed to her circumstances. Quite so accepting of her situation that she didn't, it's like it didn't even occur to her to ask this man for what she really wanted what she really desired. Quite possibly the one thing she desired for her whole life, she didn't even think to ask of this man when she was offered this chance to say, this is what I would like. This is the desire of my heart, a son. 
she, when, and then when he prophesies and says, well, in 12 months time, when I come back, you will have a son. She says, don't you get my hopes up. Don't you, don't you dare say that. Don't you let me be disappointed when, you, when that doesn't come to pass. I want to ask you tonight, how often do you not ask things of God because you're worried about being disappointed? And I'm sure there are people in the room tonight who, who have got to that place where you are so not comfortable, but so used to your circumstances that you've actually stopped asking God of those things. And I feel like I'm here tonight to say to you, I'm here to get your hopes up. I'm here to get your hopes up tonight. I'm here to encourage you to ask of God again for those dreams and desires that are in your heart, because nothing is impossible. If we read on to 2 Kings in chapter 4, sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at the time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said, God is a good God. Maybe you're like Mary, another woman of the Bible who we know well. And I'm going to pick up her story in Luke chapter 1. And we see here Mary. Now we see her promises are crazy. You're going to, have, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Like, it's a, it's a fairly cool promise, to be honest. And the angel says to her, don't be afraid, for you've found favor with God. I'm reading from verse 30. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He'll be very great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And she says, well, how can this happen? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The baby will be born, will be holy, be called the Son of God. And then it goes on to say, for nothing, actually, I'm reading a different translation, for the Word of God will never fail. The Word of God will never fail. In the Passion Translation, it says, not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. I love that. Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible. And I love Mary's response. She says, May everything you have said about me come true. Don't you love that response, that simple faith declaration? Mary's wonderful. Maybe you're like Mary and you've got that simple faith declaration that says, may everything you've ever said about me, God, come true. And I love Elizabeth says a bit later in that passage to Mary, you are blessed because you have believed the Lord would do what he said. So maybe you are like Mary, where you have heard the promises of God and you've held on to them and you're like, yes, God, whatever you have said, let that be true in my life. And that's your response because nothing is impossible. But the thing is that with all of these women, none of these stories end at the birth of their sons. They all have their sons. But when we look at their stories, something happens to the promise. The son, something happens to the son. They all go on to live their lives, but not without challenge and grief and disappointment. So I want to ask you tonight, what do you do when God seems to have failed to keep his promises? What do you do when you've received your promise and yet it doesn't continue? Something happens and it's perhaps taken away from you. So I want to have a look again at Abraham and Sarah's story and have a look at how they responded when it seems like the the promises of God are failing. So we pick it up from when uh, Abraham is taking Isaac. This is in Genesis 22. And we know the story. God calls Abraham, he says, yep, here I am. And he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love so much, who is a fulfillment of my promises and go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him there. I'll show you where to go. So Abraham gets up early, saddles his donkey, he takes his uh, firewood. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looks up and sees this place in the distance. He says, stay here to Isaac. The boy and I will travel, sorry, he says it to his servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We'll worship there. And then we will come right back. I love even that sentence. I love that sentence. We will come back. There's still a faith that God is doing something. So Abraham places the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. I've often thought about this story. Imagine if you were Isaac in that story. You'd be like, what the heck? 
is he doing? Like, what, what the heck is he doing? Isaac's shoulders, they walk further, and Isaac then says to him, Father, and Abraham, and he says, Yes, my son, we have the fire and the wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? And I love, again, Abraham's faith. He says, God will provide a sheep. God will provide a sheep. Now, I, we often hear that story from, you know, maybe Isaac or maybe Abraham. So what do you think Sarah was thinking? What was, because that wasn't, that was a, at least a three-day journey to the place of sacrifice, probably a three-day journey home. They were gone like six days. And here is the fulfillment of the promise that God has given her. Literally, did Abraham tell her? Did he not? I feel like Abraham didn't tell her. I don't know, Pastor Pauline, mama of four. Do you you think that he told her what he was doing? No, I don't reckon because I reckon if she knew, oh my gosh. So, um, so we look at this story here with, with, um, with Sarah and Abraham, and I don't know what Sarah was thinking, but what was she doing in those five or six days? What did she think was coming home to her house? Did she, did she know what was happening to her son? I've got no idea, but I want to look at her story and even Abraham's faith here and say, what do you do when God seems to have failed to keep his promises? Number one, if you're taking notes tonight, is never waver. Turn to your neighbor and say, never waver. Never waver. It says in verse 20, um, of Hebrews, it says, I think it's Hebrews, <laughs> Abraham never wavered in believing God's promises. He never wavered. In fact, his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Let us therefore hold fast the confession of our, of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. I love Abraham's statements here. I love that he says, we will come back sorry, yeah, we will come right back. God will provide a sheep. You know, for us tonight, our confession, our faith declaration, I believe, is when we never waver, is God will help me find employment. God will help me find a job. God will heal my body. God will save my daughter. He will save my son. He will give me the victory over depression. He will, he will, he will. That's That's the faith declaration tonight, I believe, that we never waver. Hold fast, stand firm, because he who promised is faithful. Who believes that tonight? That he who promised is faithful. What do we do when God seems like he's failed to keep his promises? We never waver. We never waver in believing that God will provide. He will make a way through. He will make a way out. We might be like, we might be like Sarah and Abraham where we hold on to those, those promises. Even when it seems like God's failing to keep them, we will hold on to them. Let's have a look at the Shunammite woman. What did she do? Because there's a crazy part of her story too. She says to this prophet, to, she says to Elisha, don't you dare get my hopes up. And then she does, the, the promise is fulfilled and she does, uh, she does have a son. But we read on in their story, I'm picking it up from 2 Kings in uh, chapter 4. And this is the crazy part of this story. One day, it says in verse 18, when a child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with harvesters, suddenly he cries out, my head hurts, my head hurts. So the father says, well, carry him home to his mother, to the servants. So the servant takes him home and his mother holds him on her lap. And then around noontime, he dies. Like, it's crazy. This, 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 this is a promise of God. And then this boy dies. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband who says, send to the servants. I want a donkey. I need to go straight to this man of God. I need to go see Elisha. So she said, I was a donkey, says to the servant, hurry, don't you slow down unless I, until, unless I tell you to. So they get to Elisha. He sees her running to them in the distance. And he says, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Go out and meet her and ask, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? And the woman says, the, so, um, the woman says to Gehazi, yep, everything's fine. So she doesn't, she's, not everything is fine. Her son has died. Her son is dead in her house. 
No, everything is not fine, but he wasn't the right person to tell that to. She needed to go and see the man of God, not his servant. So verse 27, when the man, when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground and, and he caught hold of his and she caught hold of his feet. And the servant, Gehazi, tries to push her away, but the man of God says, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled and the Lord hasn't told me what it is yet. So he says, did I ask you for a, sorry, she says to, to Elisha, did I ask you for a son? Did I ask you for a son? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Elisha says to Gehazi, get ready to travel, take my staff and go. And so he goes to send Gehazi back to the house to help deal with this circumstance and help the boy. And the boy's mother says, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not go home. I will not go home unless you come with me. I'm not letting you send Gehazi to go and lay your staff on my, my boy. You're coming with me. I need you. I need you, man of God. I'm not going home unless you go with me. So Elisha returns with her. And Gehazi hurries on ahead and he does what he was told, but nothing happens. The child is still dead. There's no sign of life. When Elisha gets there, reading from verse 32, the, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door and prayed to the Lord. And then in verse 36, you read, Elisha says to Gehazi, call the child's mother. And when she came in, Elisha said, here is your son. Here, take your son. She fell at his feet, bowed before him, over overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. I love, the, I love this. I, I love the fact that she, she does challenge him. He says, she says, you, basically, I said, don't deceive me. Don't let me down. Don't disappoint me. Did I ask you for a son? You promised a son. I got a son and then, I have a, and then he has died. But I love that she never settles. Number two, what do you do when, when God seems to have failed on his promises? Never settle. Just don't settle there. Don't settle there. Don't settle for less than God has for you. Don't settle for the circumstances as they are. Don't settle for a doctor's report. Don't settle for less than God himself to intervene. Don't settle for your complicated family situation and think this is how it's always going to be. It's never going to change. Don't settle there. Don't settle for poor health. Don't settle for lack, uh, for living in lack or loss. Don't settle for less than what God has promised you. Because once a promise is promised, it's promised. If God's promised it, it's promised. It doesn't change. It doesn't mean the circumstances might, in these stories, we know the circumstances might change, but God has still promised and it doesn't change. His promises are yes and amen. I love this, this woman, she doesn't settle for Gehazi or, you know, or, or the, even the fact that her son has died. As soon as, she doesn't, even, she doesn't even spend time with him. She puts him in Elisha's room and off she runs. She runs straight back to this man of God and says, I need your help. I need you to come. She goes straight and he is the picture of God here. He goes, she goes straight to God for her answer and says, I'm not settling for anything less than my son coming back to life. And I, I want to encourage you tonight to never settle. Don't settle for the doctor's report that you've been given or the health circumstance that you are currently living with. Don't settle it. Is anyone with me tonight who agrees in Jesus' name? Don't settle for those things. Don't settle for your circumstances if they are less than what the Bible says is the life that you can live. You know, as a side note, if we, if we look at that story a little bit later on, Elisha's talking to, I think I'm reading in, um, it's in 2 Kings 8. And basically, basically the story goes, the woman was prophesied to by Elisha to leave where she was because they were going into famine. So she leaves and she leaves everything behind her, all of their wealth and all of their property and everything. And so years forward, um, seven years after when the drought has finished, Elisha is talking with the king and the king says, tell me some stories about these great things that, um, that God has done. And so Actually, it's Gehazi talking to the king about Elisha, about how he brought this boy back to life. At the very moment, the mother of the boy, she walked in to make her appeal to the king to get her house and her land back at the end of the famine. And Gehazi says, this is the woman. Like, literally, we're talking about her. This is the woman. 
And as a result, the king says to her, is this true? So she tells him the whole story of how she was promised the son and he came to life and well, came to, into the world and then he died and he came back to life. And so he directs the officials to make sure that everything that she had lost in leaving where she was, was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested in her absence. I love that there is a restoration here because of somehow in all of this, because she never settled, she listened to the, she listened to the prophet, she went and left her land, she came back for her land, and because she trusted the promises of God in this, she received, she received her reward. She was restored everything that she could have lost, God gave her including including what had been harvested. And I love that in Matthew 10, it says, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Can I say, if you've had things promised over you, don't, they might not have come true yet, but don't disregard them. Don't, don't go, oh, that can't, have been, that can't have been right. Hold on to them and recognize them as, as, as promises from God. Receive those things prophesied over you and know that there is a re- reward and a restoration coming. All right, let's have a look at Mary. And we all, of course, know how Mary's story goes, but I love her posture in this as well. What did Mary do? You know, the song, Mary Did You Know, which I, again, I won't sing for you. I was practicing in my hotel room, but I'm still not gonna. <laughs> Mary, did you know? I, like, did, you, did she know? Did she know? Who, I just, I, I find her whole story so fascinating. Did she know? Obviously, she was promised the saviour of the world, but did she know what that meant? Did she know what that was gonna cost her, what that was gonna cost her son? I love when she's promised Jesus. She says in uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 46, she responds with this prophetic song. She actually, it's like a prophetic song that comes out of her in response to the promise of Jesus. She says, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's the first person to call Jesus Savior. I love that her prophetic song says, I, I, she acknowledged him, very, the very first person to acknowledge him as the Savior. Then she, it goes on to say, he took notice of this lowly servant girl and from now on all generations will call me blessed. So that's the first part of her story with Jesus. Of course, then we get to Jesus on the cross and we're in John chapter 19. We see Jesus, he's on the cross, he's there with um, his mother and his mother's sister Mary and Mary Magdalene. It says, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And this is to John, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into her home. So we see her at the cross and then we see her in, uh, in Acts. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. This is post-resurrection, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women and the, and the brothers of Jesus. We see that she is there as part of the 130, 120, 130, I'm mixing up my numbers now, 120, I rounded up, um, were there when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see Mary and I love that with Mary, she was there literally for every significant moment of Jesus' life. She just kept showing up. She just kept saying yes. The same way she said yes when she received the promise that she would give birth to Jesus. She just kept saying yes. She was the only person in Jesus' life who was present, obviously, at his conception, at his birth, at his crucifixion, and his resurrected life. And she was there on the day of Pentecost. She was the woman who just kept showing up. She just kept saying yes. She just kept showing up. She didn't quit. Number three is never quit. Never quit. Turn to your and say, never quit. She never quit. Well, I think, of course she didn't. She's his mum. Any mums in the house, they don't, you don't quit on your kids, right? You just don't quit. But she, she, there's someone on the way that she stopped being Jesus' mum. Their relationship changed. She was no longer his mother. He became her saviour. In that process, that relationship changed and she became no longer his mother, but he became her saviour. And she didn't quit on him. She didn't quit. So my, my encouragement to you tonight is just keep 
going. Just keep going. Just keep turning up. Just keep showing up for one more Sunday. Just keep trusting or keep believing, keep praying. One more prayer, one more Bible verse, one more step of faith, another step of faith. Forgive one more time. Forgive again. Just believe one more time, but just don't quit. Turn to your and say, don't quit. Don't quit. You know, there's some beautiful promises in the Word of God. I fought the good fight, Paul writes. I finished the race. I fought the good fight. And it is a fight. It's not, this is not an easy walk, this life of faith. But I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness. You know, just don't quit on your prize. Don't quit on your prize because heaven awaits. Heaven is our prize if we just don't quit. So what do you do when God seems to have failed to keep his promises? Can I encourage you tonight? Never waver. Never settle, never quit. Never waver, never settle, never quit. And I want to encourage you with that, that I'm sure there are circumstances that are happening in your life where it's easy to kind of lose sight of what God is doing or to feel like, you know, this is just going to be my life now. This is going to be my circumstance. This is going to be how life goes. You know, but I want to encourage you that if you just keep going, if you just keep showing up, if you just keep holding on to the promises of God. Because we read in Psalm 100, 100 verse 5, we talk about the nature and the character of God. He is famous for his faithfulness towards all. Everyone knows our God can be trusted for. He keeps his promises to every generation. I want to speak to grandparents and mums in the place tonight and just say to you that he is faithful to, his, to the generations coming. He is faithful to keep his promises to every generation. If you are believing for kids, if you're believing for grandchildren, great-grandchildren, nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, can I encourage you, don't quit on them. Don't waver on, your, on those promises. Keep believing for salvation for your family. Keep believing for salvation for the people who are in your world. Don't quit on them. Don't quit on the promises of God. His promises are for every generation. It says in, in Psalm 37, so don't be impatient for the Lord to act, but keep moving forward steadily in his ways. And when he does, it says, you will, you will, sorry, and he will exalt you at the right time. And when he does, you'll possess every promise, every promise. You'll possess every promise, including your full inheritance. You know, I want to leave this with you tonight. Maybe if the band can come, thank you. Mary's response, I think, is beautiful. And I, and I hope that that's your prayer tonight. And this is what we'll, where we'll um, pray together. Mary says, may everything you have said about me come true. May everything you've said about me come true. And I want to put that to you tonight that maybe there are some things that you're believing God for, that, you are, that you're kind of stuck in that. Maybe you have wavered a little. Maybe you have settled a little. Maybe you have given up at times. Can I encourage you that tonight I'm going to pray with you. We're going to believe together that God is going to do something in your family. He's going to do something in your physical health. He's going to do something in your world. That's going to see something shift, that we're not going to stay, you know, um, <clears throat> excuse me, settled where we are but keep moving forward into the things that God has for us and not being content to be where we are, but actually continuing to press on and continuing to press forward. So why don't you stand to your feet tonight? Why don't you just settle your hearts? sure there are things on your mind that you realize that you know this has become your norm it's become your 
Girls, I need you to focus. It's going to help me if you're focused. Why don't you just close your eyes? Why don't you lift your hands? There are things that you perhaps have on your heart that you just know you've kind of let go of. They're promises you've stopped believing for. They're things that you've maybe stopped praying for. You've stopped asking God to help with. But he says tonight, don't quit on those things. Don't settle on those things. Don't waver on those promises. Let your heart's prayer tonight be, God, let everything you have said about me come true. Let everything you've said, because there's blessing for you when you believe God's promises for you. There is blessing, the Bible says, when we believe God's promises for us. There's blessing for you. And so if you have a need tonight, whatever it might be, you can stay in your seat for the moment. I'll, I'll open the altar in a second. But if you have a need tonight in your world, it might be in your family, it might be in your body, it might be in something going on in your world, why don't you just lift your hand so I know who I'm praying for tonight. You have something you're believing God for that maybe you've let go of. You can see hands everywhere. For your kids, for your home. Maybe tonight you are a young woman who has a desire for children and you're the one saying, don't you dare get my hopes up. Don't you dare get my hopes up. This is what the doctor has said. I don't want to. I don't want to feel like I'm going to be disappointed. Maybe if there's some people here tonight whose desire is to get married, to be married, and and you feel like that desire is just never going to happen. There's just some things that have happened in your life that mean you've kind of gone. Well, maybe I just won't get married. Maybe I'll be single. Can I encourage you? If that's the desire of your heart, commit it again to God. Commit it. Commit it again to God tonight. thank you for every wonderful lady here tonight. And I just thank you, God. You know every heart's desire. God, you know every weight, you know every promise, you know every hope. And I just pray, God, that tonight that there'll be a new sense of faith, a new sense of hope, a new sense of you're going to come through, a new sense of your faithfulness over these circumstances. I pray, God, right now, just Oh, hands are down for a second, sorry. Who in the room is praying for an unsaved spouse? Or I'll say spouse or love, close loved one. Why don't you guys come to the front? That's awesome. You can make some room, you can spread out across the front. heard someone whisper, my mum, why, why don't you tell the person next to you who you believe in God for? Why don't you tell the person next to you who the person in your world is that you're believing God for, for salvation for? There's power in our united testimony. There's power in our united faith. We all shared? Yeah? Awesome. All right, if you are still in the room, or in your seats, why don't you stretch your hands out to these lovely ladies at the front? If you're in your seat, stretch your hands out. We're going to pray. If you're at the front, you can close your eyes, lift your hands and say the person's name. Say their name. Call it out. I'm going to pray. God, we thank you that you are the God of salvation. We thank you, God, that you care about every person represented here tonight. We thank you, God, that you have a plan and a purpose for husbands, for children, 
for loved ones. We thank you, God, that this is there's something beautiful and precious in this moment. We thank you, God, that you will do something in hearts and lives. Even now we agree together in the name of Jesus for salvation. I declare salvation over homes right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, God, that you love them even more than we love them, that, God, you care about them even more than we care about them. And I just speak right now, God, over over husbands, over loved ones. I thank you for children that are coming home. I thank you for loved ones that are coming home. And I speak salvation in Jesus' name. I thank you, God, for souls that will be saved. And I pray even now, I pray that there'll be a stirring in hearts. I pray, God, that there'll be a stirring, that there'll be an undeniable call home. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move, that you would speak. I pray even for supernatural dreams for people. I pray that they would wake up having had a dream where they've encountered God. I pray, God, that you would do something in our midst. I pray for families. I pray for these beautiful women and the people that they represent. I thank you, God, that you are anointing them right now to be to be wives, to be moms that would love on their, their husbands, their children in the most supernatural way, God, that they would be able to speak. I pray for, I see young ones, I pray for dads in here, that we're represented here tonight as well. I just thank you, God, that you would use these beautiful people to show your love, to show your goodness, to show your grace in Jesus' name. I thank you, God you're going to do something incredible you're going to do something supernatural that what looks impossible is is possible for you God that nothing is impossible that lives seem so far away from God I thank you God that they are not too hard for you I pray soften hearts I pray God for mercy I pray God for forgiveness I pray God for restoration of family restoration of relationships in Jesus name and I pray God for a new sense of faith a new commitment to fight the fight of faith for these people in Jesus name I thank you that we don't settle we don't we don't waver we're not going to quit we're going to keep praying keep believing keep trusting that God you are doing something I pray God bring bring the, bring bring husbands bring bring spouses bring children home in Jesus name bring them home in Jesus name thank you Lord if you're at the front would you say amen amen let it be done let it be done in my life, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Do you know, even now, I feel for you guys, just say thank, just say thank you. Even now, thank God for what He's going to do. A, a heart of gratitude for what He's going to do. Say, call it out. Say, thank you, God. Thank you for their salvation. Thank you that you're going to do it. Thank you that you will. Like Abraham, God will do it. God will do it. Thank you, God, that you're going to do it. Thank you, God, that you're going to use me, God. Help me, help me, help me show the goodness and the love and the kindness of Jesus in my family, in my world, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.